0: Your weekend begins in Crystal Palate's Wine Country with Sommelier, Crystal, Cameron, Shad. Every week, Crystal takes your palate on a journey from the vineyard to the glass and opens your mind to the endless choices that await your next sip. Uncork your passion starting now on your trip through wine country on Seabill 107.5 and 1260 WCHV.
1: Hello, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in to Crystal Pallets Wine Country. I'm on location this week in Washington, D.C., and I'm attending the 2017 U.S. Bevex Conference, and I'm joined right now with Kathy Hoya. She is a wine writer for Forbes, author of Hungry for Wine, and she's also the co-founder of Enalytics. So Enalytics is a company that is helping the wine industry connect with consumers through the power of big data. Kathy, thanks so much for taking some time for us today. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely, it's a pleasure. And uh, I attended your seminar on big data and the analytics, or Enalytics, I should say. Nice play on analytics uh, for the wine industry and how important it is. But let's talk a little bit
2: bit about your company and where the idea came from. Yeah, so the idea, um, I've been writing about wine for about 10 years now, and the last four for Forbes with a focus on technology and digital. And so it's really given me an opportunity to see what's already been done or being done in terms of data and analytics in the industry, um, and also maybe what's not being done or what could be done better or in addition to what's currently being done. Um, and so I had the idea actually about four years ago. Uh, for analytics, but for a long time, I didn't really see it. It didn't really come together for me. Um, but just in the past 18 months or so, with the rise of these third-party uh, wine data platforms that are now our partners, um, I really began to understand that we can connect what they're doing and the data that they're gathering um, with companies who want to tap into the insights that are being generated moment by moment and every day, and mountains of it, and just waiting to be tapped into.
1: And It really was, uh, I want to say, overwhelming, but in a good way, to see all of those analytics that you had up on the screen and to see how it can actually benefit uh, the entire industry. Uh, I think, you know, as a consumer of whether it's wine or clothing or any kind of fashion, and anytime you're you're researching something or you're tagging something on your social media profiles. People are collecting that data. So, what a genius idea to connect the wine industry to its consumers. Uh, talk a little bit about, um, you know, I have a lot. We're we're uh, based here in Charlottesville uh, for the radio show, and we have a lot of uh, wineries in this region. How does your product connect the two together?
2: Yeah. If you're a
1: winery and you're asking this question, okay, how does it work for me?
2: Right. Right. So the great thing about big data and our partners like uh, sources like WineSearcher and Vivino is that they have a global footprint. Um, They're everywhere. We're talking millions and millions and millions of users. And one of the benefits of that is that there's someone out there talking about your wine. There's someone out there tasting your wine. There's someone out there rating it or reviewing it or sharing it with their friends or searching for it or looking for information about it. And so it's, it already exists that consumers are telling us what they think. Consumers are telling us what they want. Um, and the really exciting thing for big wineries, for medium-sized wineries, for really small producers, is that sometimes your neighbors or the people who live near you or the people across the world you know, are interested in, in what you're doing interested in your style or interested maybe they have tasted your specific data can bring is one of the really exciting things for all sizes and all kinds of, of wine producers.
1: So talk a little bit about the third party uh, players that you're involved with with analytics. Who are you working with to get this data?
2: Yeah, there, there are so many that we, that we talk to. I mean, if you, if you think about some of the more popular ones, like I mentioned, the Vivinos and the Wine Searchers, our very first data partner was called Hello Vino. Uh, they're San Francisco based, uh, focused on food and wine pairings. And they gave us some really amazing insights about, about wine o'clock and when is wine o'clock and when do consumers actually engage with these type of searches. Um, and the number of, of opportunities out there uh, for wine focused um, interactions and communities and platforms um, is cre- increasing you know, every day. I heard something like almost 400 of them. And it's not like we're working with 400 of them, but the potential is there. Mm-hmm. And what's really exciting is that each of those has their own personality. Each of them has been developed in a different way, which means that each of them gives you a different insight about consumers.
1: And they all, you, like I think you were talking about, each one does target kind of a different, uh, that they dig a little deeper on different areas. Um, let's take a look at Vivino for a second. I know you were mentioning, this was something that really stood out to me, is that the growth rate for uh, consumers scanning labels on East Coast, Virginia, New York in particular, were through the roof.
2: That's right, so um, so I asked Vivino, who's a great partner for us, um, to do a little digging on, on our behalf in order to present at this U.S. Fedex conference because the focus is East Coast, mm-hmm. focuses East Coast wineries, focuses East Coast distributors and consumers. Um, so I said, what, what can you tell us? Give us some sort of top line here about what's happening. And two of the three um, strongest, or most sort of rising um, markets in terms of downloads or and scans um, are here on the East Coast, namely New York and Virginia, mm-hmm. uh, the other being New Mexico. Okay. And so that was really, you know, just right off the bat, you're like, wow, two of to the top three increases is what we're seeing right here. And that's in the states, right? For um, searches or globally? Well, it was actually globally.
1: Wow. Uh, it was global searches. Okay. Um, so global searches, New York and Virginia were, saw the, saw the highest growth. That's right. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. And we've seen, um, just speaking of Virginia, speaking to Virginia specifically, we have seen tremendous growth, obviously, in the number of wineries opening over the past decade. We're close to 300 now. So so we were talking about the trends. We're seeing Mm -hmm. the uh, growth in New York and Virginia with a number of scans uh, as highest percentage of growth globally, which is incredible. Does that speak to the actual consumer as far as, are they in
2: Virginia? Are they outside of Virginia? And is that showing kind of more of a push to people? Data like this yields is that for every, every scan or every search um, with the Vivino source in particular uh, comes with a latitude and a longitude. So we literally know down to, you know, square feet where somebody is when they are searching. And so th- it's a little That's bit mind bo- blowing when you yes. think about it, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, some people think it's a little creepy <laughs> but Big
1: Brother's watching, big right? Brother's yeah. watching.
2: But it's also, I mean, what it yields is, is potential in terms of targeted marketing, um, targeted outreach, um, and to knowing literally like who, who's around you. You know, who, who who are your people? Who are who are your community? Maybe it's around your winery specifically, um, or maybe it's you know another hotspot of interest, another yeah. sort of a cohort. You know, as we say, um, where there are. You know, we talk about fishing where the fish are, and these hot spots, and our heat maps can show that. Our heat maps can show, like, where are these, these sort of buzzed areas, uh, a specific brand or wines from a particular area, which is what we were seeing um, in the numbers I showed.
1: And uh, talking about um, getting down to the actual square foot of what they're searching in these hot spots, that was really fascinating. You showed a slide, uh, particularly with Manhattan right into a particular brand that was being uh, queried by the consumer or being researched by the consumer. Um, This can pinpoint anything from style, variety, what are people searching, what what are you finding that people, uh, I guess you can pretty much track anything with what you're doing, but what are you seeing the most success with as as far as being able to help the industry gauge these consumers?
2: Right, so that, um, that particular search was around a brand. Um, a particular brand and we wanted to get a sense of where the consumer interest and behavior about around that brand was located and so what that brand was then able to do was to match up and say okay put these maps side by side here's the consumer interest on this side and on over here on this other side is where our accounts are actually where are the retailers and the restaurants that are selling our wines and so then they know where to put the interest you know what's the overlap are the consumers where the big accounts are? Or are the consumers buzzing over here? And boy, you know you need to send somebody over there and start feeding that neighborhood, feeding that community of interest.
1: So you're really helping connect. It's your, not only the wine industry, the wine makers, but the restaurant hubs, the consumers, you're kind of bridging the gap between the three. A lot of times you have restaurants that they're Uh, They're just kind of putting their list together. They may not be thinking, right? A lot of people aren't using this data. And I think that's where you were talking about the big opportunity is this data is out there. It exists, but people aren't using it to kind of uh, help monetize their bottom
2: line. Right, tapping into it. And I think sort of the bottom line, so to speak, for for analytics is that um, we can do, uh, the industry as a whole can do a lot better job of speaking to consumers uh, the way that they want to be spoken to. because these, these third-party sources are, are gathering community input. They're essentially crowdsourcing um, what they want, what they want, and how they want to be spoken to, and how they themselves are speaking about wines. And so we can get really granular on that. We can get into the actual words that people are using into the dialects of the words that people are using. How people talk about wine in Charlottesville is not the same as people talk about wine in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. the Lisbon that, you know, wine wine drinkers use in, sorry, the Portuguese that wine drinkers use in Lisbon is not the same Portuguese that wine drinkers use in Sao Paulo. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that um, a couple of these sources that we're tapping into are global um, is an asset, but it's also because of the latitude and the longitude and the geographical targeting capability it's extraordinarily local as well going back to
1: these local wineries uh, these small mom and pop a lot of boutique wineries across virginia and new york for that matter we don't have a lot of the huge big global players in these states it's (laughs) these winemakers that are really focusing on quality trying to be site expressive which um, in very small production so if you were putting together a plan for those, what would your strategy if you're approaching a winery that's maybe doing four, five, 6,000 cases a year, but how could that data, how can the analytics data
2: work? In the U.S., and especially when there's a concentration of smaller production wineries, um, is that we'd like to talk to the organizations, as uh, so of the trade organizations who are representing Virginia wines, for example, or wines of the Finger Lakes, or Long Island wines, et cetera, um, because they tend to have more bandwidth um, and more of a, of a pool of resources and funding to pull from um, in order to get a handle on, on these sources. Um, and that, we're finding, is a very effective way uh, to get into that. And so it's, it's a question of scale, in a way. Yes, you're a small winery, but if you belong, if you're a member of a larger group, that larger group has a bigger purchasing power.
1: And that really does make a lot of sense because I, I wanted to kind of stress that point because we do have a lot of small uh, wineries in this region, so I wanted to make sure that you know, your service is really for anybody, but you do focus a lot on those trade organizations that can really help elevate the entire industry of those regions.
2: We're finding that we're getting a lot of traction to keep, uh, keep the prices reasonable for everyone. Um, it's true that that data is not free um, and in some cases we are we're are paying for data in some cases We're accessing it ourselves, um, but either way. It's not free mm-hmm. and nor is mm-hmm. working with it, right? And so we have a certain um a certain overhead uh, that we need to meet um, and hopefully doing both sort of sizes of projects, the big projects um, where there is enough bandwidth and enough budget uh, can help us keep the lights on while we also, in addition, help the the small producers uh, because they have, of course, a place in our heart as well.
1: That's that's wonderful to hear. And I want to take a quick break, Kathy. And when we come back on the other side, I want to kind of dig a little bit deeper into crowdsourcing uh, versus critic scores. I thought that was a very interesting thing you spoke about during your session. And also the top five reasons that uh, this big data can actually move the ball forward for a lot of these wineries. Stay with us. You're listening to Crystal Palace Wine Country on Seville 107.5.
2: The Washington Post calls Virginia wine distinct and invigorating. Wine enthusiasts name Virginia one of the top ten wine destinations in the world.
1: And Food & Wine says Virginia is making some seriously astonishing wines. But don't take their word for it. Virginia wines speak for themselves. To find your favorite, as well as tastings, trails, and special events, just go to virginiawine.org and start making your own Virginia wine memories.
0: Wine Studio. Understanding our world through wine and our part in that world. Wine Studio is a Twitter-based beverage education program produced by certified sommelier Tina Mori, who's worked in the food and wine industry for over 20 years. Wine Studio is grassroots marketing for beverage brands, regional organizations, PR firms, all who would like to reach millions each weekly session. Wine Studio also benefits tasting participants who meet winemakers, taste exciting wines, and become involved with beverage cultures from all over the world. Follow the Twitter hashtag Wine Studio. That's hashtag Wine Studio. Tuesdays, 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and join the conversation. For more information, visit winestudiotina.weebly.com.
1: And welcome back to the show. We are at the U.S. BevX in Washington, D.C. If you are just joining us, I have Kathy Hoya on today. And she is an author. Uh, she wrote a book called Hungry for Wine. She's also a contributor for Forbes. And we've been talking about uh, her new company. She's a co-founder of Enalytics, And it's a company that is really bridging the gap between the wine industry and its consumers. And a big part of that, I know you work with a lot of third-party um, companies to access this data, Vino, Wine Searcher, uh, and the list goes on, I think there's about 400. You work with a select group of those. And uh, Kathy, you were talking a little bit about crowdsourcing. And when you look at Vivino and Delectable, I think are probably the two most relevant apps here in America, um, we're seeing about 25%, I believe you were saying in your presentation, that Wine critics, those, you know, Stephen Tanzers and wine advocates and these these big wine critics are only sampling about 25% of the wine. So you have about 75%
2: of the wine out there. It's such an open market is fascinating to me and certainly there's so much to learn and they're so incredibly the critics that that we think of we just heard from patrick Comiskey, who writes for wine and spirits and the jansons robinsons of the world absolutely Mm -hmm. are beautiful writers and beautifully interested and curious about wine and very gifted and very gifted and so much to learn from them absolutely um and i would never i would never begin to think otherwise um but there's also sort of this other side of the coin in a way because of what technology and crowdsourcing has enabled us to do, um, we now, I mean, everybody now can write about wine and what they're thinking about wine, um, can review a wine or rate a wine. Um, and there's been some really interesting research lately about the correlation um, between crowdsourced ratings and critics' ratings. Um, and they actually correlate really closely together. Um, How so? Which is totally fascinating, uh, for example, with um, Spectator, Wine Spectator, of course, as, Rob, as well as Robert Parker, they judge on a 100-point scale, right? Um, Vivino, which is a crowdsourced app, a consumer app, they judge on a 5-point scale. So a wine that gets uh, 4.4, for example, on Vivino um, correlates almost precisely to a 92-point score on Robert Parker and a 91-point score. On Spectator,
1: what's your data pool? How are you? How many samples are you pulling from to look at
2: this? For that particular uh, statistic, uh, where it's based on over eight hundred thousand ratings on more than five thousand wines um, within the Vivino platform specifically. So it's showing
1: pretty good consistency there across the board for these ratings in comparison to the Spectator and the Advocate.
2: It is, and it's also a little bit like uh, for as many. Mm-hmm thousands hundreds of thousands of labels there are out there in the world i mean of course there's no one critic or no group of critics who can taste all of them i mean of course not but consumers can and consumers are and so it's it's confidence building in a way and it also i mean the sort of the trend to quote unquote democratize wine has been in play for a really long time but i think that looking at a statistic like that sort of really brings it home from what what you've been doing,
1: have you found many winemakers for that? For just to kind of make the point, are they even looking at the vino? Are they looking at the de- delectable? Are they seeing what people are saying? Is that something they're not even really kind of? Or is that on their radar in general?
2: It's a good question, and I think that has to do with the different personality of the different platforms and the different apps and things like that that we were talking about before. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, uh, some some apps, some platforms attract a different community mm-hmm. than others do, and that. Yields tremendous um, character when you when you're looking at um, what does what does this community think and what does that community think and and what's the different uh, personality characteristics of, of those different things.
1: I think it's really important. You were talking about the democratization of wine, and you're looking at these critics who are gifted, who are talented, have been doing it for a very long time, uh, but then they do have these uh, they have the very specific palates, right? And it may not just because they like something and they're rating at 90 plus, it may not be your palate. So being able to pull all of this other information together with consumers around the world on that same product, I think a consumer coming in and wanting to try that might be more open to it, right?
2: Right, and I think that there's a little bit of a shift um, when you think about aligning with a palette of a particular critic to aligning with the palette of, of your community, mm-hmm. of, of your people, mm-hmm. sort of the people that you connect with mm-hmm. um, on those different platforms or... Because they're or the ones buying them. your wine. The ones buying your wine, um, and they also they know a little bit more about you personally. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, yeah. um, and so you want there's more in a way to talk about than sort of a, a, a rating in and of itself. Mm-hmm.
1: Any big surprises um, that you've come across uh, since you started analytics? Any specific trends or anything that really jumped out at you and said, "Oh wow!"
2: I'm surprised every day. I'm surprised by what by the power of our team of data scientists and what they are able to do. Like, I'm not a data scientist. Um, I'm a journalist, I'm a communicator by training. This is what I do. Um, But when I sit in the office and I watch what this team of skilled, practiced um, scientists do and how careful they are, um, and that's one of the I, I think I think of it as the A.S.O. Analytics sleeve really is that our, our core team of scientists comes from the healthcare industry. They come from outside the wine industry, mm-hmm. and so they are used to dealing with data at a very a very uh, high bar. Mm-hmm. Um, in some cases, a life or death situation, mm-hmm. and so it's actually incredibly refreshing to them uh, to work with data that is wine related mm-hmm. and that is consumer related and that is opinion related. Um, so that's really that's a really fun thing. Um, one of the biggest surprises that we've seen so far is actually comes from a, an on-premise uh, partner that we're working with. Um, and they uh, track wine list activity within restaurants. And so what we we're able to see is that what consumers are searching for when they're sitting in the restaurant. Um, and we found that there is a discrepancy between what consumers are searching for and what the, wine, what the restaurant itself is actually offering on their wine list. Mm. So you've got what consumers want and what the restaurant's offering. There's a discrepancy.
1: There often and is. I know just for Simon, yes, I'm probably a little bit more knowledgeable about wine than a lot of people that are just going out to dinner and that's fine, but I'm always kind of trying to find, okay, there's, it doesn't suit my palate or there's nothing to pair with the food that's on the menu. I find that a lot of times. So this data is really going to help that bridge that gap.
2: So what it, what it can do, Crystal, is in two ways. Um, one is that it empowers uh, the producer who, you know, we know they're searching for that kind of wine in this restaurant. And it empowers the restaurant mm-hmm. to go and look for that kind of wine. And both of those things ultimately benefit the consumer.
1: And I know we're getting super geeky, we only have a few minutes left, but if you are listening, you're still with us. This is really, really exciting things that can not only help the wine industry, but also help the consumers. And I think giving the consumers power is really exciting for people that feel like they do have a voice. And if they're enjoying something, they can actually help support, they can help elevate their local wine industries, which is really cool. Um, so when you're doing, when you have a client, and you're doing all this data for them, give me the top five reasons how this can really help Uh, move the ball forward for, uh, you know, whether you're dealing with, like, uh, the Montreal Wine Trail or one of, uh, you know, one of the small trade groups or even a larger scale? What are the top five reasons?
2: Yeah, so one of the questions we get asked most often is we want to know how my brand is perceived. What are consumers saying about it? How are they talking about it? How are they rating it? What are the actual words that they're using to describe my wine? And what's the difference market by market? How are consumers in Charlottesville talking about it versus consumers in Atlanta? That's sort of probably the biggest question that we get asked. We get asked to measure uh, the effectiveness of a marketing campaign. Mm -hmm. So we can look at uh, the buzz, so to speak, um, on different platforms before a a marketing campaign starts and we can look at it after a marketing campaign ends and see what kind of lift happened in the interim. Um, We love to do heat maps of interest. Um, That goes back to the geographical targeting Whether it be by a specific varietal or a specific style or a specific brand, um, to show where the "quote unquote" fish are, in order to enable these brands to go fishing. Um, uh, Two other things is can I can I raise the price of my wine?
1: And that's one of the probably the uh, one of the biggest questions that wineries have. What's the threshold for that pricing?
2: That's right. And so that's a that's a really important. I mean, it keeps it keeps winery executives up at night. You know, I, I, I need to charge more. Like we need, we need to you know, improve our bottom line. How, how can we do that and which wines will, will withhold mm-hmm. sort of that price increase? Uh, so that's a really exciting one and a popular one to get into. And what's interesting, uh, and
1: I know you have one more to share with us, we're looking at, you know, at this conference we're talking about the premiumization of wine and we're seeing uh, consumers willing to spend more uh, as, an, as a trend if they're, if they're getting quality for that price point. That's so right. it's very interesting,
2: and so watching those trends enables sort of the last one, which is launching a new product. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the what's the interest? What's the threshold uh, for a new whatever your new product is, your Pinot Noir from mm-hmm. Monticello or your uh, Viognier, for example? Sure. You know where where is there a lot of interest in that already? Mm-hmm. Um, and that can, uh, that can really help a winery uh, to have that kind of information and know, know where to go and know how to talk about it, know how consumers want to be spoken to about it.
1: And I think having a blueprint in any line of business is just so incredibly important. A lot of people get into this industry because they're so passionate about what they're producing and sometimes people tend to lose, I mean obviously you obviously want to make a profit and do well and be financially free, but um, some people just get into it for that passion and they don't realize all of these things and maybe they're not armed with the right data. And one of my favorite quotes from one of my favorite bosses was if you can't measure it, you can't manage, manage it and you guys are really bringing a new tool A a fantastic tool to the industry at large.
2: We're trying. I mean, we're we're and we're sincerely committed to the long term sort of adoption of this. Um, And I think the it comes down to translating that passion that starts with the winemaker, that starts with the winery owner, and reaching you know enabling them to reach the end consumer and to reach sort of tap into that that passion that the consumer has. And so if we can shorten that distance. Uh, then we'll have put the data to good use.
1: How do, uh, how do we get in touch with you, Kathy?
2: Super easy, um, Enalytics E-N-O-L-Y-T-I-C-S dot com. Uh, please sign up for our Enalytics 101 website, uh, sorry, email address, emails that go out on Fridays. Uh, they talk about the topics that have come up around the office week to week, and it's really fun. Just a way to stay in touch.
1: And uh, it's info at enalytics.com if someone wants to reach out to you that way as well, correct? That's easy. Awesome. Kathy, thanks so much for spending time with us. Um, you know, as a, if you're a consumer and you're a wine lover out there, keep keep scanning those labels it's helping it's helping the industry at large so you are playing a really big part in that and uh, wine industry folks give Kathy a call because I think just the insight is just so amazing on what she can offer you and uh, check out her book Hungry for Wine for all you wine lovers out there and uh, you can find that on Kathy's website and let me spell your last name Uh, actually I'll have you spell your last name (laughs) Kathy Hoya so it's kathyhoya.com but we'll spell your name real quick it's a little tricky um c-a-t-h-y-h-u-y-g-h-e.com Awesome. Kathy, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kristen. And thanks for tuning in to this edition of Crystal Pallets Wine Country. We'll see you back here next Saturday morning at 830. Until then, have a fabulous weekend filled with love, laughter, and delicious wine. Cheers.